Welcome to episode 139 of District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. Thanks for tuning to the show. If you were surprised by Friday's kind of unexpected episode, I hope it delivered and exceeded your expectations. I hope it cleared any questions you had about the Trump administration's kind of achievements on this front in conservation. And I'm grateful to Secretary Bernhardt for taking time out of his very busy schedule to chat with me. What we can expect going forward will be very different, certainly more preservationist-minded. And I'm going to continue to keep up on these interviews with today's guest, Senator Mike Lee from Utah. A lot of people have asked me over the years to interview Senator Lee. I've had the chance to speak with him on past occasions My sister even once interned for him many, many moons ago, so I've got to interact with him on different occasions. I like where he stands politically. I largely approve of his policies, and I wanted him to speak with me about these matters because he's been very vocal in wake of some of the executive orders that President Biden has put out, especially as it relates to the Bears Ears National Monument in San Juan County in southeastern Utah. That's a very sticky and contentious issue, and he has a lot of comments on that, like much of the Utah delegation does. I also wanted to pick his brain about some of his comments from 2018, which kind of sparked a firestorm in conservation circles. I don't think he got a very fair shake with his comments, so I wanted him to come on and clarify those and whether or not he really is an enemy of public lands, which some people did accuse him of. So he perhaps clarified his comments, so I think you'll find that interesting. He also commented about the nomination process of Biden's nominee for Interior, Dev Hallen. That nomination announcement hasn't occurred just yet, but I think that's coming very soon. And uh, he kind of previewed what he plans to question her about. And he also talked at length about Senator Joe Manchin, kind of his maneuverings and whether or not he can be kind of a reliable true conservation vote in the Senate Committee on Energy and Natural Resources, which he will chair, a subject I've talked about in recent episodes. Anyway, here is my chat with Senator Mike Lee of Utah, the senior senator, having served since 2011. Let me know your thoughts and check it out. President Biden has issued an executive order um, to review Bears Ears and I think a few other national monuments. And I know this is something you've sounded off before on, uh, but what are your thoughts on that and some of the implications relating to that decision? Yeah, no, thanks for the chance to talk about this. Uh, I find it significant that in his inaugural address, President Biden pledged, as he put it, his whole soul to the task of bringing America together, uniting our people and uniting our nation. Sadly, though, just a few hours later, President Biden signed a a slew of executive orders, one of which um, would or could make it next to impossible for him to honor that promise to unite our nation, Um, particularly with respect to the growing divide between rural Americans and their urban counterparts. you know, the, the, the Antiquities Act uh, uh, was passed into law um, about 110 years ago to prevent looting for, uh, 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 of artifacts. Um, 
Native American artifacts most immediately from federal land. But over time, it's morphed into a uh, tool, really, for for radical environmental uh, environmentalist activists and, and wealthy coastal elites who fund them uh, to prevent rural Americans from using public land to provide for their families. And, you know... So, so President Trump undid most of President Obama's executive action uh, with regard to the Bears Ears National Monument, which which President Obama created on December 28, 2016, in the final weeks of his administration. Um, and so, President Obama took the first step. President Trump took the second step by uh, uh, significantly redrawing and reducing. Uh, that the footprint of that monument, and you know, now that we've had two significant steps by two different presidents, and we're going into the third president to touch this, I think it's important for us to return to the bargaining table and find a solution. And I, I think President Biden has an opportunity to take uh, a path of respect and compromise and unity. Um, and I think he should take that path. But if he chooses the other path, that is, if his proposed review of uh, the, the new Bears Ears National Monument boundaries ignores the uh, majorities of uh, people in Utah and in San Juan County, Utah in particular, it could be perceived, perceived and, and, and quite fairly, in in my view, as sort of a gratuitous act of aggression uh, by the new administration and by rich coastal donors and supporters against the working families of rural Utah and other parts of our country. Do you think your Senate colleagues will, I don't know if you have intentions to introduce any legislation to address this, because I think um, kind of with the precedent established with the Antiquities Act, people forget that actually five presidents uh, have shrunk national monuments. It's not actually uncommon for presidents to do this, uh, but people like to conveniently ignore that. Uh, but, but with this executive order, would it present opportunities for you and other senators to perhaps craft legislation to modernize the Antiquities Act to prevent, let's say, any uh, usurpation of too big of segments of land. And this goes against, um, obviously, Section 2 of the law, where it, I'm merely paraphrasing, but it, it says that the government can only, or presidents can only designate, like, small swaths of land for hmm. um, national monuments. So do you anticipate, because of this, maybe there could be a remedy in Congress uh, with this as a result? There, yeah, I do, and I've, I've already done that, in fact, um, Earlier today, I introduced a piece of legislation to do just that. Um, uh, my first two bills were filed today, and one of those deals specifically with the Antiquities Act and um, w- would provide that any creation of any new national monument in Utah or any expansion of any existing national monument in Utah can't be done by by executive action alone that it would have to be undertaken um, with the approval of our legislature and and also uh, through a congressional enactment 
Um, I've got a number of other pieces of legislation that I've, uh, some of which I've drafted and introduced in previous Congress Congresses that make other broader modifications to it. But um, this is the first one I've introduced, and I think it's appropriate to review the Antiquities Act. Um, right now, especially given that we've just had a change in administration. President Biden has just made this call for unity and made this uh, uh, a real commitment on his part. You know, it's important to remember when when you look at the, we've had two monuments designated by two different Democratic presidents over the last 25 years in Utah um, against the will of the local population and of Utah's congressional delegation and governor and state legislature. Uh, one was the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument, designated by President Clinton in 1996, and the other one was the uh, Bears Ears, which I mentioned a minute, a minute ago. It was designated at the end of December in 2016 by President Obama. Um, as originally designated, I believe the Grand Staircase was about 1.9 million acres, and Bears Ears originally was around 1.3 million acres. Um, those two monuments alone, just those two monuments designated in Utah, uh, uh, take up an amount of land that's larger than two Delawares. And I think that's an appropriate comparison here, given that that's our new president's home state. That's uh, an enormous amount of land, and it's one of the reasons why given how Utah has been picked on by Democratic presidents, perhaps perceiving that, you know, uh, they don't consider themselves likely to win Utah's now six electoral votes in any event. Uh, this is a way to keep a lot of their environmental activists happy. Uh, we've been picked on excessively, and that's not fair. That's yet another reason why Utah should receive some additional protection much like Alaska and Wyoming have been legislatively protected uh, from um, future designations of national monuments under the Antiquities Act. I suspect some of your critics will see your push to oppose this, and they'll defer back to a speech you gave a few years ago suggesting that uh, you had called them upper crust elites, and they said that you were anti-public lands. How do you respond to those accusations kind of in the grand scheme of things with the Antiquities Act and whether or not you have concern? Because it seems like you do have the, the uh, concerns of your constituents because I saw the statement from much of the de Utah delegation that they don't like this uh, move by President Biden, but some will defer back to your speech and say, well, he doesn't really care about public lands, given his past statements saying that public lands are only for the upper crust elite. Um, so, so how would you respond to critics who say that perhaps your concern uh, maybe not really is rooted in public lands interests. Yeah, first of all, that, that that's an absurd accusation to suggest that I'm opposed to public lands categorically, uh, or, or to say that I've somehow suggested that public lands are only for upper crust elites. That that it is very often upper crust elites who who are pushing um, aggressive uh, action as to federal public lands. It's a very different question from whether public lands have a purpose, which they do. Most of the people, it's always difficult to quantify these things, and so I don't want to say anything that I'm not ready to prove, but I, uh, I can safely say many 
of the people who give a lot of money and do a lot of advocacy on what they regard as ideal public lands policy are people who don't live in Utah or in Wyoming or Idaho or uh, uh, Montana or any of the other western states where the federal government owns a significant portion of the land. Um, I, I am in, I, I, I'm in favor of um, having public lands. I think public lands are a good thing. I like national parks. I like, uh, uh, and I'm not categorically opposed to the idea of public lands, but that those are different questions from the very narrow question that we're dealing with here. They're also different from the broader question of where there is public land, how much public land should there be in any particular state, and perhaps more importantly, who should own it and manage it? Should it really be owned and managed mostly by people who live and work and exist thousands of miles away from where the land is and away from the people who actually do rely on that land for their existence have to cross it in order to access their own uh, land that they use for grazing for their animals or to cross it to access their farms or their ranches. Um, Most people would agree that it's better to have their land use decisions made more by people who are familiar with their land and their circumstances than it is by people who live far away from them. It's also separate and distinct from this precise question that we're dealing with here, which is not public land versus private land. That's really not what we're dealing with when it comes to the designation of national monuments. National monuments uh, uh, are designations within land that is already federally owned. And creating, designating something as a national monument um, is, is an act that, that takes already federal public land uh, and, and it ratchets it up from one level of control to another. In other words, it, it, it's a way of limiting even further uh, the activities that can take place on federal public land and narrowing even further the group of people who can have input on those decisions. And so that's why it really is um, just uh, uh, for people who would say that my concerns about national monuments reflect uh, a categorical antipathy toward public lands. It's just it's an unfair argument because it's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about public versus private in this context. We are talking about um, what level of restrictions you're going to impose on something. And it can be very fun for people from out of state who want to be part of a cause to say, hey, there's this land in one of the square states back uh, in the Rocky Mountains, and we want to keep people off of it. It makes us feel good to tell ourselves that we're protecting that land, even though it's land that we don't see and we don't live on or 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 
nearby, and let's protect it. That can be a lot of fun for people to do from a distance. It's quite another thing for the people who actually live there to endure the consequences of the additional restrictions that come along with the monument designation. And, and remember, uh, that public land, before it becomes uh, public land that is not a national monument, still has a lot of land reuse, uh, uh, restrictions attached to it. They're still very protected. Uh, it's not as though we're, we're proposing um, a free-for-all on that. That's, it's it's mm-hmm. not, the, not the contrast that's accurate here. Yeah, I appreciate the, uh, the uh, response to that question, because I think a lot of people will be very curious to, to see what your true view of public lands is. I'm not kind of a warped view that I think a lot of people have presented your views as. And I think with respect to national monuments, um, obviously it's in kind of tier system of public lands. And the more you go up towards a national park or national monument, it does become restrictive. I mean, kind of against opportunities to have multiple use uses for uh, different public lands like BLM, Forest Service, and Interestingly enough, some some critics in fishing and hunting of yours have uh, not really examined some of the implications with national monument designations that actually uh, take out hunters and anglers from access opportunities and access points. There was a really big case of that evidenced in Arizona, which we don't really have to go into, but I have identified certain uh, kind of um, blips, uh, blips in their argument with that. So it is true that sometimes those monument designations do shut out people, and I can understand uh, the Utah delegation feels very concerned with with that possible shutting out of opportunities to live off the land or recreate um, coming from that. And kind of related to the Antiquities Act, uh, the likely incoming Interior Secretary for Biden is actually a really big champion of uh, restoring Bears Ears to the Obama era levels. She's also indicated support for the Green New Deal and has some pretty extreme positions compared to past uh, Interior Secretaries across both Republican and Democrat. Uh, administrations, and you sit on the committee that will likely deliberate on her fate, uh, whether or not she gets to be confirmed. Uh, how do you anticipate that going? Um, do you see her being confirmed? Do you have questions for her uh, coming into the committee? Oh, of course. Yeah, I certainly have questions, as I always will, of any interior secretary. Um, uh, as I sit on the committee, that will review um, her nomination. Um, and I, I look forward to a, uh, an open, frank conversation with her and I look forward to hearing how she analyzes this and what, you know, if she does want to advocate for this step, why she thinks that would be a good idea. One of the things that I intend to communicate to her is that I recognize that given the way the law is written, the Obama administration can, as a matter of law, take this step. They've got the ability to do it. And, and in the absence of a change in law, um, there's really nothing Utah or its two senators, its uh, four members of Congress, uh, uh, members of the House, or, or its, its governor can do about it. They do have this power. It's one of the reasons why I think the law needs to change. But one of the questions that I intend to ask is, where does it lead? Do they really want, consistent with what President Biden said in his inaugural address, to to unite? And if so, um, 
do they really want to be the people who come in and take an action that, while popular with some people, will be devastating to many who live on or near this land? Is is that what they want? And and is it? Uh, I also intend to ask them where does uh, where will it lead in terms of future support for proposals like some that I've introduced and will continue to introduce um, in in the long haul. I think aggressive and uh, inconsiderate actions like those that they're contemplating will only fuel efforts like mine to make significant changes to the Antiquities Act and to other laws governing the use of federal public land. So if they really want to do that, I have no doubt that they have the legal authority to do it. But I'm not sure it's really what they want in the end, and we'll find out. And, uh, yeah. You also... <clears throat> Go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, no, no problem, Senator Lee. Um, yeah, I, I recall under the Obama years, there was a lot of division and a lot of derision of people out West. It was very heated. I've spoken to numerous people, uh, whether they're clients or people who recreate outfitters, who had said that uh, a lot of kind of caustic um, rhetoric emanated from Washington. And over the last four years, that kind of subsided, and a lot of people are worried about that uh, returning again, if not with a vengeance um, under this administration, if they have these plans to pursue kind of this radical preservationist conservation philosophy. And certainly that can be heightened with um, with probably uh, incoming Secretary Holland's uh, proposals or Biden's uh, agenda. And I wanted to segue into asking you about, let's say, um, a person that everyone is talking about who will likely take the helms of the committee that you serve in, uh, Senator Joe Manchin, do you think he'll be a bulwark against some of the radical environmental and climate policies that your Democrat colleagues and, and now Majority Leader Chuck Schumer are proposing? Do you think he could be possibly a reliable ally for Republicans in the Senate uh, to stop those type of proposals? Uh, yes, I, I, I think so. I, on, and on a number of issues, I, I think he will be. Um, Joe is a dear friend. Uh, he and I were both elected to the Senate in 2010, and um, I, uh, um, in addition to being a, a colleague on the committee and in the Senate generally, he's also a personal friend. I have dinner with Joe on a very regular basis, and and I think um, I know that he's got a strong commitment to making sure that the government doesn't hurt people, and that it's in its zeal to achieve this or that political gain. It doesn't do things that make life harder for hardworking Americans. Yeah, I, I suspect he may have some clashes with uh, Majority Leader Schumer, given the fact that Schumer put out a statement saying, like, they're going to go full throttle with all these different climate policies. But that's reassuring to hear, and, and hopefully he does I'll live up to that. Is there anything else you want to discuss kind of on your mind about natural resources or energy? Yeah, yeah I was just going to add that um, to this conversation that, one of the things that's important to remember um, is that in no state east of the Mississippi, I'm sorry, east of Colorado, does the federal government own more than 15% of the land. In every state west of Colorado's eastern boundary, 
the federal government owns at least 15% of the land. And in many of those states, like mine, it's a lot more than that. The federal government owns about two-thirds of the land in Utah. And so that's yet in addition to the fact that we've been uh, repeatedly um, – our state has repeatedly – been the subject of national monument designations. We we also, in the absence of reform, uh, are always at risk at having uh, up to two thirds of our land declared national monument. And so it's it's um, it's short sighted and inconsiderate on the part of many people. Uh, particularly people from states east of Colorado uh, to, to to sneer at people in states like mine uh, when they don't they don't have anything like this in their state. I mean, just just imagine if any particular landowner owned more than I don't know five or ten percent of the land in any state. If it were a corporate owner or an individual, even a nonprofit, that entity or that person would have a disproportionately large and most would say dangerous hold on that state's economy. Imagine further that that owner owned not 15%, but 67% of the land in that state. And and finally, imagine that that landowner declared itself exempt from tax laws of that state and that nobody could touch the land, nobody could tax the land without that entity or that person's permission. It would raise anti-competitiveness concerns if it were a for-profit Corporation, it would almost certainly raise antitrust questions, uh, and it would cause a lot of um, discomfort and a lot of suffering. The fact that this land is owned not by a corporation or a nonprofit or an individual, but instead by a government, doesn't make those issues go away. And in many ways, it makes them more severe, especially when you have people acting uh, without any, without due regard or adequate concern for the the, the, the concentrated, um, disproportionate burden that they're adding to the people of one state or of one part of that state. In the case case of Bears Ears National Monument, Bears Ears National Monument has, happens to be found entirely within one county, uh, San Juan County, which happens to be the poorest county in the state of Utah. Um, these are very real concerns, concerns that I I would love to see the Biden administration in the spirit of unity. Uh, uh, starting to take into account. Yeah, it sounds like a tall order um, and an interesting time in natural resources uh, there. Yep. But I, I appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule to chat with me about these issues. And uh, hopefully we can 
continue to talk about them going forward. If I can be a resource in media for, for you to dispense your thoughts on this, please uh, let me know and, and we'll, we'll make it happen. Great. Hey, thanks so much. Good to talk to you. Take yeah. care. Yeah, you too. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you found it very thought-provoking and interesting. I appreciate Senator Lee taking time out of his schedule to chat with me and expound on his belief system with respect to natural resources issues. I encourage you guys, if you're new to the podcast, to find us on Apple. That is our most listened to platform. About 60% of our listeners derive from Apple. And you can find us just about anywhere if you Google us and, and follow to your heart's desire. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you don't have to miss a beat nor a guest announcement. Tomorrow's episode, I'm largely going to expand on the Antiquities Act and National Monument designations, kind of where it stands legally, politically, kind of the nuances associated with it, kind of the momentum building up to President Biden's executive orders, just really kind of offering a comprehensive overview of this and kind of shedding any misconceptions about the law and how it actually has been used by presidents to shrink monuments in the past, actually by five or six other past presidents pre-Trump. So very interesting subject. It's not very sexy to talk about this. This law is over 100 years old. It was established in 1906. But I figure because it's in the news and we're going to hear more about it, someone has to kind of just tackle it. And I want to be the person to do it, to put it into layman's terms for you all. Okay, thanks for listening. Make sure you leave us some reviews and stay tuned for tomorrow's episode.